You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. This is The Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. And this episode of The Running Public is brought to you by us and The Running Public Training Plan. This running plan has everything we ever talk about on any Training Tuesday, all compiled into one all-encompassing training plan. Now, it's an OCR-specific training plan, but 95% of this is just running. So it doesn't matter if you're training for an OCR or a marathon or whatever. It all is in there. Speed work, threshold, hill work, up, down, long run, long qualities, and plenty of compromised running. Everything we talk about is just waiting for you. That's right. The hardest part about creating your own training schedule is deciding what to do the next day or that day. We take care of that for you, which I think is worth the uh, $19.99 a month in itself. It's cheap, right? And you can cancel at any time. If you've been curious about it or you don't know how to put together all the knowledge we share on the podcast into your own training plan, it's a no-brainer. Where can people go find this uh, this training plan and get signed up, Bragging? On our beautiful website, therunningpublic.com, $19.99 a month. Cancel anytime you want. That's right, you can. In fact, I think you, you're an idiot if you don't do it. So go <laughs> sign up. He's alive. I'm alive. I'm back. Woo! Good to be back. Thank you for holding down the fort while I was gone. I believe the term was, you're a little foggy. I was. Et cetera. And you also told me that this surgery wrecked you significantly more than any you've ever had. So understandable. Yeah, I was I was having this this uh, experience where I'd be talking and I'd want to say a specific word and I just couldn't find that word. And it'd just be a normal conversation where someone would say something and I'd want to ask them about it. And I couldn't quite think of how I wanted to ask it. And that's when I texted you. I said, I don't think I'm ready for an interview this week. Because I just wasn't ready. I I had this brain fog where the word that I wanted to use wasn't there. But usually when you have that, you have a backup word in your mind where I could just use this one, but there's a better one. I, I didn't have the backup word either. I would just have a blank. It was a really disconcerting feeling. And I was not confident that I could talk to someone and add something to the conversation and hear what I want to hear and then say what I wanted to say to lead down the net. I just wasn't capable of that. Let alone make these brilliant analogies that you were so known for. Those would have been out the window, I think. Not a chance. They would have been like, yeah, this reminds me a lot of giraffes. And then how, uh, <laughs> and then it would have gone off the rail. It would have been really bad analogies. Well, we excuse your absence, Bracken. It's good to have you back. Well, it's good to have such a co-host who can just knock it out of the park solo. I'm a real mensch, Bracken. We all know this. That you are. Mm-hmm. All right, so I got a I got a little burr in my saddle, Kirk. Is a burr in your saddle? Uh, yep, yeah, that's definitely the saying. A, yep, a burr in my britches. Mm-hmm. You sent me a screenshot of a a matrix of shoes. It has three columns going down. It says 10k, 21k, and 42k. Converting for people, 10k is 6.2, 21k is half marathon, 16 point or 13.1. 
is where my brain's back. And yeah. then 42K is the marathon, 26.2 and change. Well, I would like and to interrupt sh- quickly and say the reason I sent this to you is I was just doing some late night scrolling on my phone on Instagram, um, which I actually don't do very often. And the shoe matrix came up and I thought if there's anybody who's going to get off on something like this, it's Bracken. But I was mm-hmm. reading through it and I thought, like, I wonder if he approves or disapproves of this. And I just wanted to get your knee jerk reaction. And now it sounds like we've finally gotten it. Because at first I liked it. It was simple. It was cut and dry. But then you dove in a little further, didn't you? I did. And and so it has those three columns, 10K, half marathon, and marathon. And then it shows six shoes under each one. It has Nike, Hoka, Adidas, Asics, Saucony, and New Balance. And it shows what their best offering is in their lineup for said distance. And so for the 10K, you have six options, half marathon, six, marathon, six. And it shows then that three shoes obviously from each brand and they can be repeated some of the shoes are repeated some are not and what i loved is that someone took the time to do this what i didn't love is that i didn't agree with the choices well before we get yelled at here for like copyright infringement or something this is from an instagram account called run gear run in case you're wondering. So we'll have to give them the credit where credit is due, but it is run gear run if you want to look them up. But I was actually not going to say it because I didn't want to sound like I'm bashing them. Okay. Well then delete that part. If you so choose, I'll leave it in. They deserve credit for what they did because they're not wrong because you can't be wrong about shoe choices because it's like saying someone's wrong about diet. You got to find what works for you. So Mm -hmm. for this person, this might be absolutely correct, except that when looking at these, the common threads are not common. So shoes that are similar to a different offering from a different brand aren't in the same column. So what kind of irked me about this, A, I was happy about it. I love that this information's out there and this would help people decide. But what I didn't like is that there was no... There was no, I don't know, like map legend for this that tells how to read this and what the rationale is and how to apply it to yourself. And I didn't see consistency through the column. So I kind of wanted to use today to talk about why there are fallacies in the shoe world right now and how people, this is like shoes 101, how to go about thinking about shoes, what purpose they serve and how to apply that to you when you go out and buy shoes, because we've been getting so many questions now that the season is changing about what shoe should I buy? I have these six options. What should I get? And I want to just give people some some decision-making power here. We get more question about shoes. I'm going to say fourfold than any other questions on any other gear or training techniques or anything. And I understand there's a whole camp of you out there who's like, ah, I put a pair of shoes on my feet and I go run. I don't think any more beyond that. Um, well, telling you, like, if you were to go golfing and you were to, you know, approach the course, you would need different clubs. And running is very much the same way. Like, there is an appropriate shoe for the job. And I'm guessing if you're taking the time to listen to this podcast, um, this conversation may be worth worth it for you. Um, I know we talk about shoes a lot. And sometimes it can be mm-hmm. eye-roll worthy. For the few of you who are like, God, I'm just not into shoes. Like, you absolutely should be into shoes. Without question. This is the one place in which your foot touches the ground and propels you forward. And maybe it doesn't get your rocks off like it does for most people, but it's very important conversation. And so because, like, I mean, I get a shoe question probably every other day. I don't know about you, whether it's from an athlete or somebody on Instagram. And point being is I think this is a very worthwhile conversation, and I don't know if there's a guy I know 
If I had a shoot question, I can think of that I would ask other than you. You're the man. Warms my heart. Warms my heart, Kirk. You're the man. So continue. Well, I want to be clear that this isn't just about performance. Yeah, this new era of shoes and all eras of shoes have been about getting faster. But there's the other side of that coin, which is about remaining healthy. And choosing the correct shoe can increase your longevity and the amount of work you can do and your recovery. And I see some pieces in here that would injure certain people and certain pieces that would help certain people. And I want I want athletes to understand what type of runner they are, which leads into what kind of shoe you need to choose for what your purpose is. Because there are some shoes in here, say in the marathon column, that would injure me if I ran in them. And yet it's listed as the best option for this brand in the marathon column. And I would absolutely never choose it for a marathon. But for other people, it works fantastic. So I just want to increase the decision-making ability of the audience. I think that's a noble a noble and just thing to do, Bracken. Okay. So let's just take us back to pre-Super Shoe. Can't we go back to the waffle iron? Can we go that far back? Oh, that's too far back. Things were too simple back then. You had a trainer and you had a spike, and that was really it. If you're running on the track or cross country, you wore a spike. If not, you just wore your trainer, and you wore it for racing most of the time. And some models had a stripped down version, but everything was pretty stripped down. Do you think but not you all back, the? Do you think not all the? I just keep interrupting you because I know I can't add much to this conversation. Oh, you're going to add. Great. So I'm interjecting where I can. Do you think that? Um, most of our listeners know we, we, we refer to people refer to the waffle iron and stuff. Do you think most people know what that reference is? Probably not. Why don't you tell them? Well, I think this is your time. Well, the waffle iron reference is where the innovation of the Nike started back in what? The late sixties, early seventies, late sixties, the university of Oregon with coach Bill Bowerman. Anyways, he started, uh, making his own, uh, his own shoes for his athletes and he was molding the plastic or rubber bottoms on on the waffle iron at home that became the nike waffle and then eventually morphed into what is nike and the whole deal but um the waffle iron anyways that's like the origin of like the first advancement in shoes was melting plastic on a waffle iron i feel like that was one of the steps in the trajectory of history yeah, his opinion. rubber outsoles are called the nike waffle outsole because he made the originals in a waffle iron. Yeah. So that's where that that's horrific. Oh, I'm sure the the fumes on that would be terrible for you, but mm-hmm. that's that was the first advancement in technology in my opinion as the uh yeah. second best shoe expert on this podcast. You're top 2. Top 2. Not bad. Well, once running got into its sweet spot, 80s progressed to the 90s, 90s and 2000s, I feel like things peaked and stagnated for a long time and you had daily trainers that was just your everyday shoe that you walked into a running store or into Kohl's or into any sporting goods store and most of what they had were just daily trainers and they were either neutral made for supinating or made for pronating that's just the angle of your foot when it hits the ground whether it's rolled inwards or outwards doesn't really matter um, for most people but just cushioned medium stack stack means how high the cushioning is off the ground in the front and the back and they're all pretty generic then most brands had a racing flat and a flat really just meant it had less drop to it so the stack height in the heel and the forefoot were closer together and they had less stack 
It was just closer to the ground. Sometimes they had a lighter upper. It was just a stripped down cushion shoe, stripped down to its bare minimum, and that was their racing flat. And that was for fast days. And then very few brands had actual trail shoes. They were usually, they took a normal shoe and beefed it up. And it was five, six ounces heavier. And then you had track spikes. And that's pretty much all there was. And then in the 2000s, they started this lightweight trainer category. Which was like if a daily cushion neutral shoe had a baby with a racing flat. And it was probably the biggest leap forward in shoe technology that we'd had in a long time. And that now there was an in-between shoe. That's my favorite kind of shoe, by the way. It was a lot of people's sweet spot. Mm -hmm. If you were very light or very fast or you liked less shoe, this was your daily trainer. You could run it in every day. You could do workouts in it. You could do it. was like the jack of all trades. Or if you were really big, you used it as your racing flat. Or if you were a heel striker, or people could use it for long distance road races, half marathon, marathon. The Saucony Kinvaro is one of the first lightweight trainers, the Asics DS trainer. My Nike Skylon was my favorite. Oh, Nike Skylon. I had that one in high school. Oh, that was sexy. Yep. They were great. So those were options for that tweener shoe. And I think that's the shoe that led us to super shoes today. Because that shoe tried to strip away weight while maintain some cushion. And that got people's wheels turning. But at the time, you would own three shoes if you were a serious runner. You had your daily trainer, your lightweight trainer, which you would use for long workouts, threshold runs, long distance races. And then you had your racing flat, which was speed work, short races. And then some people, if you wanted to, you would take it up to the marathon distance if you were efficient enough or if you just didn't know better. But those were the three types of shoes. So now when we zoom forward to this matrix we look at, we have 10K, 21K, 42K. In the past, that would have been 10K, racing flat, 21K, half marathon, racing flat, or a lightweight trainer. And then 42K for the fast racers was either racing flat or lightweight trainer. And for the slower, heavier athletes, it was either lightweight trainer or just your daily neutral shoe in order to keep you healthy for those long races. And some people would race the half marathon in their daily neutral trainer as well. Now we've got these different categories of carbon plate and and these super foams and everything like that. And that's where everything gets murky these days. Mm-hmm. Are we do you feel like we're caught up to the point where we are in history? Yeah, I think um I think that's a good progression. I mean, I even think back to the nineties, uh, the late nineties when I was in high school. Um and we we had one shoe nobody even knew better you'd want you to train in and want you to race in which was your spike mm-hmm. no matter if you were on the track or you were running cross country and then you had one just sort of heavy trainer that you plotted along in progressed yep. to college which was the two, early 2000s for me t- 2001 to 2005 we had exactly what you mentioned we had a shoe we did our hard workouts in on the track which wasn't a racer but wasn't a trainer we had our trainers for our steady runs and we had our spikes we had no options it wasn't really like <laughs> You were splitting hairs deciding between which shoe to wear because you didn't have a lot of choices. It was like a big deal mm. when the Nike Pegasus made out a, a Nike Pegasus trail for the winter. I was like, oh, they have a they have a shoe with grip on it for the winter now, which was crazy mm. to me because I had run in my road shoes for the previous winters. So, like, we weren't talking about technology. We were like, hey, they put some nubs on the bottom of this shoe. That's a win. So, yeah, I would mm-hmm. say that your your trajectory of time is – is true, and we have, we're in this privileged position to uh, to now split hairs for a good yeah. cause. 
if you wanted to do a little bit of a golf analogy, it was like you had your driver and you had a putter and you had a nine iron. And you took, that was it. Those were your options. And you had to choose, do I want to drive? Do do I use my driver as like a three wood or do I just use my nine iron and hit a couple extra shots? Like there wasn't anything in between. Do I wear my racing flat for a 10K or half marathon? Or do I just use my daily trainer and know that I have enough cushion to get through? Whereas now we have the full, every single club you could ever use, but now it's like paralysis by analysis. How do I even know I'm using the right one? Should I be using a hybrid or a three wood? Should I be using, hundred percent? you know, what kind of loft should I have on this? And, and now I have to worry about the stiffness of the shaft. Now you can buy the club head different from the shaft and, uh, there's this new carbon wood that's out and is that better than an actual and it just gets confusing for people and Mm -hmm. you have people swinging the wrong club for their golf game well and think about like and think about if we're going to use all those i mean you just confused me with what you were talking about there but that's good that you confused me because i mean i know all that terminology but then you look at you look at shoes and you look at stack height you look at heel to toe Mm -hmm. drop you look at what the upper is made of what kind of blown rubber it is you look at how the tongue is sitting on the shoe and it sense does it have a carbon plate does it not like what what is the technology in it and it all matters do you get a carbon shoe with a big heel to toe drop or are you are you losing something because you shouldn't be running in a big heel to toe it's just like there is a right shoe for everybody's foot i felt it when you put it on you know by the way like when you're running a pace and you know but there's a lot of things to like dissect and now there's 25 comp different combinations you can come up with in the yeah. shoe world and which is where I think you had a problem with this matrix was like, these are the wrong combinations. Maybe I'm wrong, yeah. but. And, and that's exactly it. So then, for example, the 10K distance. That is the shortest distance piece on here. And so they put the lightest, for most shoes, they put the lightest, lowest stack shoe in that 10K distance. But for the average athlete, I would say the average man is running around 40 minutes for a 10K 40 to 45 minutes. The average general population runner and woman is probably around that or a little slower. I'd say the average gen pop runner who's like identifies as a runner. Like they're a runner. Yeah. 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 And the average fast like age group champion is probably around 36 or 37 minutes for a man. Mm -hmm. So it's not, these are still closer to 40 minutes. I mean, they're closer to most of these people closer to an hour than a half hour for a half for a, for a 10 K. So at that point, do you really want the lightest, most stripped down shoe? Like, is that even fast for you? And then we look to the other end of the spectrum to the, to the marathon. And I just want to read off what they have listed. So for Nike, they have the alpha fly next percent for the marathon for the 21 K, the half marathon, they have the vapor fly next percent too. And for the 10 K, they have the zoom X streak fly. So let's just start there. The zoom X streak fly is an old school low stack racer with new school super foam. That's it. There's no plate. There's no rigidity. It's just a soft bouncy foam with a low stack. So it's a nimbler on paper, faster feeling shoe, except some people feel it's too mushy with no plate in there. Other people feel like the super foam is wasted because there's not enough of it. Some people would run many people, would choose, I would think almost everyone I know of would choose the Vaporfly over the Streakfly for the 10K. 
because the, the, the streak fly, that racing flat with super foam, does not provide any stride enhancement to you. It just provides a little bit of energy rebound. And it's a little bit lighter than the, 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 the vapor fly. But the vapor fly is going to be faster for most people because it has more super foam and it has a perfectly shaped plate in there for propelling you forward. So I would argue that most people would actually be faster in the vapor fly than they would be in the streak fly. But that was just looking and saying, well, we'll put the lightest, lowest stack shoe as the 10K. Well, the 10K is a long distance race for most people. They need more shoe underneath. What them. if you're running the 10K in 28 minutes? 28 minutes? I bet you would. Oh, and you do see. If you look at the pro road races, it's still Vaporfly. Very few people use the Streakfly. The Streakfly is used in lieu of spikes on the track some days. So you still get the lower drop and you get to work your feet a little bit more. So let's dissect this issue a little bit further for you. So the main issue with this is the fact that we're not taking advantage of technology for a race, which is long enough in which you should take advantage of technology in a sense. That's the carbon plate, the carbon plate technology more than anything. And the stack height. Okay. 10 K and streak flies will still beat people up on pavement for a 40 minute, 50 minute race. If you're, a male who's 200 plus pounds, streak fly is not going to be enough shoe for most of you. But this chart would say you'll be fine. You might leave with shin splints. You might leave it with some, with some soleus pain. You might fall apart with your stride the last few miles. So if you go to the vapor fly, it's just going to support you better. However, what it doesn't say is that the, the drop of that is like eight mil and it's a very rigid plate. And there is a litany of athletes who have developed, due to carbon plates, especially high drop, Achilles issues due to running and racing in carbon fiber plates. So then you, they don't offer that as their suggestion until the half marathon. Well, to the average athlete, that's their fastest shoe for the half marathon, but it might be destructive to their ankles and to their Achilles and to their calves. So there's no real, I don't know, education that comes along with a chart like this it's just oh here's the race i have coming up here's the shoe i could buy moving to the hat to the full marathon the alpha fly probably the most spectacular shoe i've ever run in probably has given the most spectacular midfoot blisters to marathon runners that i've ever seen in my life this shoe either works for your foot or it destroys your foot and there's no there's no mention of that coming in. And this is where the other issue lies. Most shoe stores don't carry these shoes. And so people would have no idea how the shoe is going to work on their foot until they actually pay $279, receive it, go out and try it, and it tears their foot apart. But then you blood through your shoe and Nike's not taking that return back. Right. So context is missing from this column. But then you go down. Hoka Carbon X3, Adidas Adios Pro 2, a6 Metaspeed Sky Plus, Saucony Endorphin Pro 2, and New Balance RC Elite 2. Those are all the marathon options. These are all very different shoes. I got a quick question. I want to yeah. I want to interrupt you with a, with a quick question, just Please so we do. can um, differentiate ourselves here. Uh, um, of this shoe, so there's one, two, three, four, five, six brands, and each brand has three shoes. So that's yes. 18 potential different shoes, although some shoes are repeated. How many of these shoes on this have you put on your feet? You're counting. 
10. So 10 of 18 shoes, and there's actually I've less than 18. put 10 on, I own seven of them. All right, for context here, I've put zero of them on. <laughs> and if you want to... you have the Pro 1. On a technicality, I do have the Saucony Endorphin Pro 1, and I do have the Hoka Carbon X, the original. Mm-hmm. So I might have two. But just so just so we understand why Bracken is the expert here, and I have a lot of shoes, but I haven't gotten to the tech side of things quite like you have. So you've worn 10 of them. I've worn zero. And I've worn older versions of two. So point there being... 15 shoes listed on here. I've run in 10. I own seven. Right. Of the actual versions that are listed. Well, I'm counting... I've run in the Adidas Adios Pro 1. This is the two... I have the Pro 1 of the Endorphin. This is the 2. The only difference between 1 and 2 is the upper in the Endorphin. Uh, so not all these exact versions, but enough to know what the shoe's like. So, yeah. So quit bugging me with your shoe questions. Obviously, <laughs> bug bracket. That was a self-serving anecdote there. <laughs> continue. So then we continue down. Let's take a look at Saucony. They've actually gone the opposite direction of Nike. They have, in the 10K, the Saucony Endorphin Speed 2. In the half marathon, the Endorphin Speed 2. And in the marathon, the Endorphin Pro 2. The Speed is the same shoe as the Pro, but with a a plastic plate rather than a carbon plate. So it's a cheaper shoe. And the upper is slightly different. It's cheaper it's slightly heavier and it's slightly less responsive in terms of the carbon action. The carbon is going to flex more rather than be super, super firm against the foam so that it just propels you. So they put their heaviest shoe for the 10K in the half marathon. Doesn't make sense. And then they, they put a lighter shoe, but a more responsive shoe for the marathon because it's their flagship shoe. So they put it in the marathon distance. It was marketed as the marathon racer. However, it's a shoe I'd wear in a marathon today out of what I all Correct. owned. Mm-hmm. It is also the least forgiving super shoe out of any shoe on this entire 15 shoe chart. It's firm. It is so firm. The Saucony PB foam is very bouncy and very firm. You add a firm carbon plate to it and it is like you're just springboarding off the most springy, I don't know, plywood you've ever run on. Mm-hmm. You don't but put your foot in it and think, ooh, this is plush. You think, so, well, springy insinuates plush for some reason in my mind, but it, it is not. It's, no. it's hard. I personally can't run longer than probably eight miles in the Endorphin Pro before my soleus, Achilles, and calf start to hurt. The Speed is a much different shoe. It still has that speed roll technology, which is a rocker. But it is not so stiff because the, the plastic plate gives a little bit. So for me, if I was racing a marathon, I'd be in the speed. Because I could make it that distance without my Achilles snapping. It's important. 10K, I'd be in the, the pros because they are lighter, they are faster, they are peppier. And I can handle that carbon plate for 10 miles. I mean for 6 miles. Half marathon, I would probably still take the pros. Because I could eke out a half marathon out of them, and I would appreciate the weight savings over 13 miles. For a marathon, give me that extra ounce, ounce and a half, because I'm going to be more comfortable. So again, for the average person, this this chart is actually reversed. Well, now you just you got me wanting to ask some questions. 
mm-hmm. um, because for a lot of people, this is all like maybe a little over their heads because they're just not aware of these shoes, right? They have their they have their VJ one pair of VJ racing shoes, and they have their one pair of trail training shoes, and they have one pair of road shoes, and I think that's mm-hmm. okay. That's what a lot of people have. So a lot of this might be over their head or just like, well, this doesn't pertain to me. So now, like, <clears throat> I know you you have a, a line of thought you're going to go on here, but I'll interrupt quick in asking. Um, like then what are the, what are the decisions you need to be made? Like, how are you, mm-hmm. how do you make these decisions for yourself? Like what shoe, if you're going to invest a, a good amount of money in a shoe or a super shoe, like what are the first considerations, which I'm sure you're getting to, and I'm probably jumping the gun here, but. Well, it's okay. I've probably done enough of the brand analyzing here other than I'd like to do new balance at some point because it's the most confusing one for me. Well, do you want to do that first one? Do you want to finish the job? And sure. Then... Let's, okay. let's do that one. Okay. New Balance has a fantastic fuel cell lineup, which is currently changing to the SC lineup, which is Super Comp. That's their new version of all this. But in the 10K, they have the Fuel Cell Rebel V2. In the 21K, the Fuel Cell TC. And in the Marathon, the New Balance Fuel Cell RC Elite 2. That's the one I agree with. The RC Elite 2 is probably the best everyman shoe on this list. It has some of the greatest super foam in the world. It has a little bit more space in the forefoot. It doesn't have a crazy drastic drop in rocker feeling, and the plate is positioned in a way that it's forgiving. This is the shoe I chose that I would do a road ultra marathon in. You could train every day in this shoe. You could race in this shoe. It's not going to be the fastest feeling. It's not going to be the most cushioned, but it's probably the best of all worlds. Then you have the Fuel Cell TC, which is basically their tempo. They're a lightweight trainer. You can run workouts in it. You can run long runs. You could run every day. It's very bouncy, but it's got some cushion to it, and it doesn't have this crazy rocker plate. Then you have, in the 10K, the Fuel Cell Rebel V2, which is another lightweight trainer. It's got less stack height than the Fuel Cell TC, but it's more stable for people, and some just like it more. They're kind of the same shoe, but different approaches to the shoe, but they're both lightweight trainers. So they put their lightweight trainer in the 10K and the 21K and their super racing shoe in the marathon. Now, the average person could run a marathon or a half marathon or a 10K in all of these. But the average person would be the fastest in the 10K, the 21K, and the 42K in that RC Elite 2. I sort of want to pick holes in some of this because what i just did while you were speaking is i pulled up the the account right and now they have a they have another list here for adidas a6 hoka ultra and then on cloud okay it says perfect shoes for race day question mark agree and comment so this this person's just throwing things out there i think is what i'm understanding for for let's just say hoka Read me the recommendations for the 10K, the 21K, and the 42K on there. Both the 10K and half marathon, they say the Hoka Rocket X, which is a low drop, non-super foam. It's semi-super foam, but really not much. Low racer with a carbon plate, so it's very harsh ride. It's going to feel peppy off the ground, but there's going to be no forgiving, and it is going to be not a max height. And then the Hoka Carbon X3 for the marathon. Okay, you're going to get a kick out of this. On this post, it is the 10K they're suggesting is the Mach 4. This post was made a week later. The 21K, the Bondi X, and the 42K, the Bondi X. 
So they went maximum cushioning version for these things. Correct. And, and then the, and the A6, the hyper speed for the 10K, the magic speed for the 21K, and the meta speed edge for the 42K or the marathon, which is vastly different than this original one. So like, I, I think what I'm, what I'm gathering, and I, this is great because it spawned conversation. I think they're just mm-hmm. throwing some things at the wall here. They are. And Mm -hmm. it's why I didn't want to call it the account, but it's why I do want people to understand when you look at a chart, this isn't gospel. You have to look at it for shoe ideas, not for what shoe should I get. And again, so so this kind of brings us to the the crux of this episode, which is you're giving me all these random terms like peppy or firm or soft or forgiving or fast or rocker or fast turnover or long stride length high cushion high stack like what 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 does it all mean for me and what it means is you need to know your specs the same way if you want to buy a golf club you need to know do i hit a slice or a draw i hit a slice if you hit a slice then you get to choose from clubs that close the face off a little bit and turn your slice into a straight shot or a bit of a draw because that's the, sh- the one that's made for you. If you hit a draw and you get more of a closed face club, you're going to really, really, really draw. It's going to turn into a nasty hook. And that's the same way these things are. If you have, uh, if you are someone who naturally drives with a huge, high lofting club, you're not going to have like a an 18 or 20% um, loft on your club face it's going to be a bit more like a nine or something like that. Something that will lower your shot down. You have to get the piece of equipment that enhances what you do well or corrects what you do poorly. How do you know those things? Well, that's where you start. First of all, you ask yourself the easy questions, which is what do I value most? Do I value fastest potential speed, most comfort, or is there some third thing that I value the most? Know what I value the most among everything else? What? Maybe maybe I'm not alone here. I can't imagine I am. The biggest difference in how a, f- a shoe feels on my foot is the heel-to-toe drop, hands down. Mm. No matter the technology, like that, if you give me a shoe with 10 mil drop from heel-to-toe, I am not of enough of a four-foot striker naturally that it will put me on my heels and I'll feel like I'm almost breaking, for example. Um, so that's the first decision I make when I look at shoes. First of all, anything over five mils, six at most off the table, won't even consider it in general. Now, maybe there's a shoe that breaks that rule, but what is, so like, for example, like figuring out your drop for starters, like, have you tried a shoe with a 10 mil drop and then one with zero drop or a four mil drop and be like, which one just feels most, most flowy when I put them on and run? Like for me, that's where I start, started my experimenting and over time realized like, Hey, nothing six or more for me because it don't work necessarily this what i'm the exercise i'm about to recommend is going to sound a bit nerdy or techy for the average person but running shoes for the most part you're spending near triple digits or near 200 dollars, somewhere between 100 and 200 dollars at this point for most decent shoes you can find sales as you should try to find but if you're going to spend triple digits on shoes at that point you should be a little bit techy and nerdy and research what actually works for you so here's the exercise Okay. Write down a list of every shoe you've ever run in that you can remember. That's a long list for some of us. And then drag them into three columns. Loved them, hated them, meh. Those are your three columns. Loved them, hated them, or somewhere in the middle. 
And then you have to spend some time and you have to look up each shoe and find out what is the stack height, what is the drop, and what is the stability. Is it neutral? Is it designed for pronation? Or is it designed for supination? Those are the three things you have to write down for every shoe. You can also write down the weight. Weight's nice to know. And then if there are distinguishing characteristics like made for a wide toe box or very narrow or great heel lockdown or terrible heel lockdown, those are the notes you make on the shoe. And it sounds a bit tedious process. If you've only run in three shoes ever, it's going to be easy. If you've run in 30 shoes, well, you've got a little bit of research. But again, if you're spending hundreds of dollars over the course of each year on shoes, this is worth knowing because it's only things that you have to do one time. And then you look at the things you do like and the things you don't like, and it really helps sort out what type of runner am I? I guess I should add in there, you should write what type of cushion in it. Is it really plush and soft? Is it really firm? Or is it somewhere in the middle? So between stack height, drop, weight, type of cushioning, and type of stability, you'll know everything you need to know about what does my foot and what is my body like? I like this exercise. I like this exercise because... A lot of people might, I would actually imagine most people don't even know the specs on the shoes that they like Correct. the most, like what it is. So finding that common factor, like, oh, it's a coincidence. Every shoe I like has a four mil drop yeah. or less, or, oh, interesting that it's all my lightweight trainers that I think are just fantastic. Well, it's probably because it's a lightweight trainer and they always feel fast. But for example, I think that's a really good way to dissect maybe what, what works and what doesn't. That's smart. And we always run into that dang problem, like... I can think of a dozen shoes over the years in which I loved, they changed, and then I didn't love them anymore. And there's probably some inner workings in that change, which is the reason why. And if you go and strip down the specs, you can probably figure it out. And that's a great point. If you run on the Brooks Caldera, but it was the three versus the one, you need to look up which number you have. You ran in the one, the two, and the three, and you stopped liking the three. Or if you're in the Pegasus 20 versus the 30 and the 38, you have to look what the drops are for the 20, the 30, and the 38, and the stack height, because that matters. The one you don't like, there's a real good chance they change stack height or the foam type right. or the drop. So even if you're like, I know what shoe I like, this conversation isn't relevant to me. Like, wait till you have a shoe that has your heart, and then wait until for some dumb reason that company goes and changes it. Man, Saucony Peregrine broke my heart a few years ago when the Peregrine changed its forefoot and tread. Oh, I loved that shoe for long distance trail races. For example, Peregrine broke my heart. Do you ever have a, do you ever have a shoe that broke your heart? I mean, the Pegasus is probably the most psychotic shoe I've ever run in. That shoe has gone from max plush neutral trainer to almost lightweight trainer, and now it's somewhere in between. They change that shoe every year or two, it seems like. I love that Pegasus in college. Now I don't even recognize it. I wouldn't be able to tell it's in the same planet as the old shoe. Yeah, the uh, actually the Hoka Challenger mm. went from my favorite trail shoe to a shoe I can't wear longer than 70 or 80 minutes because I blister, and the foam feels nothing like it used to. So which one broke your heart the most, though? For me, it's definitely Saucony Peregrine, for sure. Broke my heart. Why'd you do that to me? I would say the Hoka Challenger. The Hoka it Challenger? It went from the shoe that I could do any trail in. I could do ultra on it, to now it's I wear it camping. <laughs> there you, know, you need you need camping shoes too. Cut the grass in it as well. Yeah. 
All right. So now you have your your commonalities that you look through, and you've made sure to type in the exact model number to get the right specs for it. So you look at your commonalities. Huh. This is what I like. I like a six to eight mil drop. That works for me. I like firm cushioning. I can do long runs in firm cushioning. However, I have to have good heel lockdown. If I have firm cushioning, I have. For, this is me personally. If I have plush cushioning, I can get away with a little less heel lockdown. If I have firm cushioning, I need heel lockdown or my Achilles and my calves start to hurt. It's just the way my stride works. Maybe there's some deficiency with me, but I know that if I just have a shoe that is touted as having a good, secure upper, I'm going to be able to get away with a higher drop if I need or a lower drop as long as my heels lock down. So you learn these things about yourself. For me on the trails, I'm three to six mil drop. On the roads, I'm, I'm like five to eight. I can handle a bit more drop on the roads. If I'm not doing anything technical on the trail, I can keep a high drop. If it's lower, I like that three to five mil, really three to mm-hmm. four mil drop is my sweet spot on the trails. Quick side question for you. Um, I think this episode is just about me interrupting your train of thought. Uh, it's helpful. Sorry about that. I just rant all day. Well, you're just getting your train of thought back after being, you know, under the knife, but um, what if somebody is doing this and they don't find a pattern, they can't make sense of it all, which I can see happening. <laughs> what, do, what do you, what do you have, what do you say to that person? Well, it's the same thing for almost everyone. What the next step is, which is if you're branching out to something new, if at all possible, get to a running store and try shoes on. And they generally let you run on a treadmill. Or on a little like running section they have there. So if everything works for you and you're really not sure, come up with a few. Use these charts that they have on Instagram and wherever else and come up with some that look pretty and look like, oh, that would work for me. Or some brands that have worked for you in the past and go find a store that has that model and go try it on. If you can't do that, then everyone's in the same boat, which is find the best trend you can find and make the most informed decision upon that. So let's do some, let's use me for an example, Kirk, since I know me well. Okay. I prefer a, I respond to a rocker on the trail. If it has a curved bottom, I'm just better on the road. I like a bit of a rocker to my shoe. In fact, a rocker is almost as effective as a curved plate to me. And I do like a bit of stack underneath me. For, especially if I go longer. So I like a decent amount of stack and cushion and I need a rocker. The longer the distance goes, the more my cushion has to be plush. So let's say I'm going to try to find a marathon shoe. So let's look at these. Hoka Carbon X3, firm shoe. I'm not wearing that for a marathon. That's out. Adidas Adios Pro 2. That's got some rock to it. That's got high stack. It's not the most plush shoe, but it's now in the mix. Asics Meta Speed Sky Plus. That baby's got a rocker and a drop to it. It has super plush foam, high stack. That's in the mix for me. Sockney Endorphin Pro 2. Great rocker, way too firm. I just couldn't do it. If it was softer foam with that rocker, that'd be my baby. And then New Balance Fuel Cell RC Elite 2. Not a drastic rocker, but the foam's so good that I would put it in contention. So on paper, I'd be trying to get my hands on to try out the Fuel Cell RC Elite 2, the A6 Meta Speed Sky, and the Adidas Adios Pro 2. That's what I'd be looking at. I already have the Alpha Fly Next Percent. It works so well for me. 
<laughs> that's the one I'm wearing tomorrow if my life's on the line for a marathon. But out of the ones I haven't tried, that's how I narrow it down. What's the shortest you uh, distance you'd race that Nike Alpha Fly next percent at right now? Five uh, k. Oh, you'd go. You'd go all the way down to a five k. Oh yeah. I mean, for example, that day I did mile repeat testing where I took full recovery and I was trying to run four fifty nine in every single shoe to see what my heart rate response was. I took 10 minutes recovery in between every rep. So I was fresh as I could be. And I was just looking at heart rate and perceived effort. And I was like 459, 458, 459. In that shoe, I was 451 and it was easy. Oh, wow. So, I mean, do I need to run faster than 451 pace for a 5K for me? Nope. No, so that's Not a 5K shoe do. for me. Okay. And that's the point. Like I found a shoe that works for my body that everyone say, that's a marathon shoe. That's a 5K shoe for me and a marathon shoe. So, Kirk, you, for example, you like the Endorphin Pro too. It turns your feet over well. It keeps your form together. You might be able to wear that for the marathon. Keeps me very economic. At what distance would you say, it just doesn't make me faster? It keeps me economic. It keeps my stride together, but it doesn't enhance my speed at all. What's the lowest you would wear that for? I don't think, I think I could wear it for a 5K. Yeah. Um, based on some speeds I ran last week in it and feeling pretty smooth. Um, but I don't think I'd go lower than that. I'd want something with less stack height, closer contact to the ground. Um, so yeah, I would say probably down to the 5k might would be no good for the mile. That's for dang sure. So then we say less stack height, a little closer to the ground. Do you like firm or soft cushioning? Give me something firm if it's pretty short. Yeah. Okay. So now you're looking at and do you like to feel rocked and tipped forward by your plate or if it gets faster pace like 5k and below do you want it out of the way just make me get off the ground i think uh my affinity for the nike kennedy back in the day would tell you i like a little bit of a rock in there okay so then i would say the asics metaspeed edge is a little less plush than the sky it's a little lower stack height it's designed to get you to your forefoot a little bit more and turn over quicker rather than long striding that'd be a good place to look asics meta racer is very low stack very very firm it's got a rocker to it but it's not a launchy rocker it's kind of like an old school flat with a plate in it sure adidas takumi sen 8 is much less drop it has the energy rods rather than a plate so it's not going to mess with your stride too much but it's lower stack and it's a little bit more nimble might be a good one to look at and honestly you might work well in the hoka rocket x but you're not going to get much rock to that so that would be my last one i'd recommend but so just looking at two things we know about you we have three shoes to try rather Mm -hmm. than 15 I feel like I just like, um, so that'd be your, your shoe prescription for me. I feel like I went to like the shoe Dr. Bracken and I feel like this could actually be a niche for you. Somebody could hire you to discuss Mm -hmm. options for 30 to 60 minutes over maybe a consultation and they, they consult with the shoe doctor and you narrow things down for them based on what they tell you. And then you'd give them a prescription for what they should try next. I feel like that could be a very valuable niche that you should market yourself as because I feel like you just did a good job of dissecting that for me. I go in with a bellyache. Here's the options of medications I can give you. Okay, I go in with a shoe query. Here are the options I think that will best suit your needs. It could be a next endeavor for you, Bracken. But it's all done by breaking down the shoes you've run in. Correct. It's like your post-race analysis. Write down the facts. Once you have the facts, you have the knowledge to move forward. And the ones that didn't work for you are just as important. 
because there are always new sexy shoes that check a lot of the boxes. But if you have one commonality that always gives you shin splints or always gives you ankle pain or always gives you metatarsal pain, that's the common thing you have to avoid at all costs. Have to avoid it. What if my common denominator is like, oh, I realized all the shoes I like are orange. You make anything of that? Or, oh, the ones I really liked are the cute ones. What do you tell that person? Then you buy the prettiest shoe possible. And you use right. it until something goes wrong. All right. The The thing to remember is that super shoes don't guarantee that you're healthy. Only that they can make you faster. And so are you looking at a race as, I need everything I can get out of one race? Or are you looking at, I'd like to be able to run the next day too? Or the next week or the next month? And finding, do I need a super shoe? Or would it just be nice? And if so, what version of the super shoe is conducive to my body weight and my stride type? But you learn all those things through the shoes that have worked for you. And the same goes on the trail. I've tried some shoes in the last year that have really excited me on the trail and have just been duds. But I knew it beforehand, but I still had to test them out. But if I would have stuck to my own matrix, knowing what works for me, what heel lockdown type I like, uh, what kind of upper I like for the mesh versus jacquard versus some of that flywire type, looking at the bottom, what type of tread I like, what type of heel counter I like on the back, I could have... I could have already told you which shoes weren't going to work for me, but I tried them out because I was enticed by all the verbiage that the running shoe companies used at their running shoe event, and they got me all pumped up. So I had to try it. It was the new thing. It didn't work for me. I'd be faster in a worse shoe because it works for my foot, and it leaves me healthy. And everyone needs to know that decision-making process. Yeah, I think you brought up a good point about uh, decision number one is choose the shoe that makes you health, health, keeps you healthy, which you don't always know up front, but like... Uh, risking a little bit for speed, sure, maybe once in a while for the race course. But if it's a trainer mm -hmm. that you're gonna, something you're gonna be putting on your foot often, I think like that needs to be the decision you still lead with with any shoe choice. And then secondary comes performance. And if you're sacrificing health for performance, which we do when we run in more minimal shoes at times, most everybody does, then just make it sure it's for special occasions. Yeah, that's it. But yeah, I think deciding based on health is important. We just like you didn't touch on that until right now, and I think it's a very like worthwhile reminder yeah mm -hmm. yeah and and it's just a reminder to people that super shoes carbon fiber they're not necessary if you want to run your absolute fastest these days they might be necessary but if you want to go out and race well and win they're not necessary yeah they're just really not i mean my 5k pr didn't come in my standard racing shoes it came in probably my second or third favorite race shoe in terms of feeling fast. It was my favorite feeling shoe, but I had shoes that were faster, lighter, more responsive. Didn't matter. This one just worked with my stride better. What shoe was that? That was the Nike Lunar Racer hmm. 2, I believe. I had the Streak. I had the A6 Piranha. I had the Hyperspeed. I had shoes that were on paper faster, lighter. 5K by mile three. My rear chain is always barking and not able to attack when I use those light ones. My 800 PR came in a pair of 10K racing spikes. Hmm. It just, I found that they supported my foot strike a little better than my, my middle distance spikes. 
You know, it's yeah. it's not about the stats of the shoe for everyone else. It's about the shoe for you. Oh yeah, when the Nike Zoom Miler came out as a track hmm. spike, it was my least favorite track. I was a Miler. I was an All American in college in the fifteen hundred. Got those Milers on. Felt like it was put pumping the brakes on me every single time. The shoe that was supposedly supposed to be the best shoe they created for the mile was the absolute worst shoe I could have ever put on my foot. Put those things, wore them one time, tossed them, basically. So, yeah, case in point, got to do what's right for you, and you don't know that until you try. And I do think that we we glorify some of these shoes. Like, we put a lot of these shoes on a pedestal, and often people are disappointed when they put them on their foot because it just doesn't work for them. And so, like, don't don't put it on a pedestal until it's it's been on your foot because, um, like you said, you've been disappointed by a few models. And so even what we're saying, and even though Bracken knows shoes better than anybody I know, um, still got to put those things on your feet before you before you know. That's why I always say, and I don't mean to push people to running warehouse, but um, like some of my athletes, I've suggested, you know, buy four pair of shoes. Like some of these high-end shoes you can't get in your local running store. They just don't carry them because not enough people buy them. And so running warehouse includes a return shipping label with their shoes. So sure, maybe you're going to sacrifice 800 bucks and order four pairs of super shoes, which is acidine, but you literally are set up to set them all back just as easily with the return mm-hmm. shipping label. And maybe that's an approach some of you need to take. Because I know if I go down to my local running shoe store, I can't find a lot of these shoes there because they just don't sell as much as the lower price point shoes. I don't know about you, but it's an option. Yeah. No. Kirk, I think on my wall right now or around me, I have five pairs of super shoes. Some were sent to me, some I bought. I would only wear one of them for marathon. I would only wear two of them for a 5K. I would only wear one of them for a stadium race. I would only wear one of maybe two of them for high rocks. Okay. It just five super shoes, which a decade ago would have been either one of them would have been so far and above any other shoe that's out there. And they would have led to me getting injured or slower. So it's just, I can't, I can't drive it home enough that you just have to know what works for you. And hopefully this episode helps you figure out how to figure out what works for you rather than what's on someone else's shoe or what looks sexy on Instagram. Yeah. So the main takeaway, if you want moving forward action would be to compile a list of the shoes in which, you know, you like to remember having fond memories of, then go into a deep dive on the internet with the exact specific shoe, what version model, etc., mm-hmm. and start writing down the specs, stack height, heel to toe drop type of foam, maybe the color, the real important stuff. Wait, do you like a stiff heel counter or a loose heel counter? That'd be the takeaway for most people if they're, and I feel like the people that would really benefit one that like, you know, like sometimes I don't know if everybody out there has put their foot into a shoe and run it, running it and been like, ah, like that shoe. I didn't think about once while I was running in it. It did everything I needed to like the best shoe out there. You don't realize is on your foot when you're running. Mm -hmm. It's just like the most perfect song and dance between your foot shoe and the earth. And you're just like, that feels like bliss. I didn't even think about my feet the entire time. A lot of people haven't had that aha moment with a shoe. Maybe they're like, yeah, these shoes are good, but I end up blistering or I end up my feet end up hurting towards the end of a run or whatever. Like you're kind of the person who needs to really like dive into this thing, I think, more than anybody. Yeah. Like that aha moment is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And there's not many shoes out there that do it for most people. So it's like worth finding because once you find it, it's like, oh my God, how did I not discover this shoe earlier? At least that's been my feelings when I have. And so yeah. I think it's worth taking a little research on your own, figuring out. Yeah, nerd out for a little bit. Just do that for me this one time. Nerd out. Write down what works for you. 
If you can't figure out why you keep getting plantar fasci, or you can't figure out why you keep getting stress fractures, or why you have calf pain some workouts, and then you do the same workout again and you don't have it, or why anything's happening, start looking what shoes was I wearing and what are their stats. And you might be shocked at how simple the answer is for you. Yeah, I like it. Do you have any other nuggets there that you want to wedge in? No, no, I'm content with today. Hmm. Well, I tend to like green shoes, so green you shoes do. and me, green shoes and me tend to do it, you know, mesh nicely. Tell you what, if you're looking for colors right now, Saucony might be the best in the game. They put out more colors per racing shoe, per lightweight trainer, per super shoe than any other brand out there. Mm-hmm. Some sweet styles. Anyway, so green is the commonality I can tell you off the top of my head right now. What about you on the color front? Orange, yellow lime green and i think that's it those are the the shoes that i gravitate to towards yeah all right just curious orange might be the single one orange and red yeah all right for a while i went where i probably every shoe i owned was either orange red or some sort of lime green like that nike volt color sweet and fast well i'm glad you're back in action brother glad to be back Thanks for tolerating a bit more of my my shoe addiction here. Always. This will be a theme. It's not an addiction. I could stop anytime I mm, wanted. That's what they all say. Till next time. Mm-hmm.